Hello and welcome back. Today for our second special podcast in collaboration with BirdLife to celebrate the International Day of Forests, I speak with Mike Seeger, Forest Program Manager for the Americas. Mike details the incredibly diverse array of forest types across the continent from Canada to Argentina. We discuss the challenges of affecting change across such complex issues and locations, the importance of working with white native communities, and much more. If you like this episode, like to follow more of Mike's work, please follow the links in the description. And if you would like to support us, you can make a donation at restaurantplant.org or follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Enjoy the conversation. Hello, and welcome back to Restore Planet Podcast with me, your host, Jack Cole. Today, I'm joined with Mike Seeger, who's joining us from BirdLife Americas. So, Mike, welcome. How are you? Yeah, thanks, Jack. I'm doing well today. Good, good, good to hear. So, tell us a little bit about your background and why your work is important and what brought you to, uh, to doing your work today. Yeah, great. Oh, um, so, my background, I... Uh, I basically studied uh, in my undergrad uh, experience, I studied international relations and environmental policy at the international level. Um, and from there, I sort of ended up, uh, I ended up sh shortly after graduating, uh, spending a lot of time in, in South America. I moved uh, quickly, uh, quickly after graduating into a role with an environmental consulting firm. And I had a lot of exposure to uh, working on environmental and social safeguards issues uh, for international development projects in some of the some of the most challenging environments and 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 uh, poverty stricken environments in the world. I worked a lot in Haiti, uh, the the DRC, and I worked throughout other countries in Latin America, uh, always with an eye towards trying to improve the environmental outcomes of some of these uh, international development projects. After that, I sort of transitioned. Uh, more into the world of uh, protected area management, natural resource management. I did a master's at James Cook University in Australia on natural resource management and um, began looking more into uh, forest ecology and, and carbon dynamics as part of my, uh, my master's work there. Uh, after, after that chapter in my life, I came back to, to Ecuador, where I've been living now for um, about 10 years uh, with that break in Australia in between. And um, yeah, I've joined BirdLife uh, right at the beginning of the pandemic in March uh, 2020 and uh, have been supporting our network of partners across the Americas region on starting up, designing, uh, implementing, and uh, really delivering conservation outcomes for some of the most important forested landscapes uh, across the Western Hemisphere. So I'm really happy to be in the position I am right now, very fortunate and uh, really exciting to be, to be supporting our, our great partners with this on-the-ground on conservation work. Fantastic. And I'm sure many of our listeners are very jealous of, uh, of your travels and your adventures. So tell us a little bit about some of the, perhaps the more key key areas in the Americas or at least where, you know, where you're involved, what you find most interesting or most critical? Yeah, so I'm uh, right now in, at BirdLife, my, my position you could say is I'm, I'm managing the forest program uh, for BirdLife International in the Americas region. Um, and the Americas is really quite a spectacular and special place uh, for, for forests uh, all the way from the boreal forests up in Canada, uh, down to you know the Amazon rainforest in South America, 
the Gran Chaco tropical dry forests of uh, Bolivia, Paraguay, Argentina. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about a region here in the Americas that has about 60% of the world's remaining primary forests um, or forests that have not really experienced um, significant disturbance by humans. Um, and, and, and so, you know, it's, a, it's an exciting region to work in. Um, primary forests are, are particularly critical for, for regulation of our global climate. They, they, they have the highest density of carbon stored typically within primary forests. And they're also the areas that harbor the most biodiversity. And so, um, you know, the Americas is quite, quite rich in that sense of for, for um, these, these last, you know, important strongholds of, of forests uh, for our planet. Um, and yeah, you know, even, our America's partners, you know, from BirdLife International's perspective, the forests in the Americas um, are, are also critically important, not only for the carbon that they sequester, uh, but also for the ecosystem services they provide to millions of people across the region. Um, you know, they provide food, uh, they regulate water cycles, they provide timber, uh, you know, medicine. Uh, they are the basis of the cultural identity for tens of millions of indigenous and rural people in, in, in the Americas. So uh, certainly, you know, from the social, from the cultural perspective, uh, these forests are critically important to the identity of people in the Americas. Uh, but for, again, you know, from, from bird life's perspective, they're also the habitat for, um, for, for you know, a range, hundreds of different uh, globally threatened and range-restricted birds. Um, and they also provide really important wintering grounds and stopover for migratory species that every year traverse from North America to Central America, the Caribbean, and all the way down to South America and back. I mean, a really, really amazing journey that these little little guys are making every every year. Absolutely. Okay, so bring that bring that to um, more of a little local scale uh, to you. Tell us a little bit about how things are in Ecuador and the uh, sort of the, you know, the conflicts over land and territory and forestry and things of that nature. Yeah, sure. Um, so yeah, Ecuador, we work in, in Ecuador and the wider kind of tropical Andes forested region um, with our partners. Uh, you know, in, in, in particular in Ecuador, we work with a, our local partner, Avesi Conservacion, and we are on, in the process of also bringing on a, a second partner in, in Ecuador. I think that speaks to the incredible importance of this country for biodiversity. Um, and, and we're bringing on a second partner, which is kind of rare in bird life's context. Typically we work with one partner in each country, uh, where we, where we work, but here it's a little different. Um, yeah, e Ecuador has, uh, a, a really staggering diversity of forest types and forest, forest ecosystems, um, across the country, thanks in large part to the sort of elevational gradient, the Andes that run right down the heart of the country. And so along the eastern slopes, you have really great cloud forests that begin to transition into lowland rainforest and the sort of beginning of the Amazon basin. And on the western slopes, you have a whole range of different kinds of uh, also cloud forests, high Andean, um, you know, polylepis and really interesting, unique uh, endemic forest types down into the tropical dry forests, which uh, are also uh, quite unique and harbor some uh, really incredible biodiversity. And um, on those Western slopes, you really find 
a lot of the most fragmented and threatened forest types, um, basically often threatened from uh, you know, agricultural expansion, uh, cattle ranching, palm oil to a certain degree, um, and, and the expansion of, yeah, uh, that's kind of the main driver in Ecuador and, and, and much of South America is competing land use, you know, uh, for, you know, forests are increasingly uh, converted to agricultural uh, use and, and, and that's driven by a, a range of factors. Um, but yeah, in Ecuador, we, we are, uh, yeah, supporting a, a process currently right now uh, with a range of different NGOs in the country that are working in northwestern Ecuador to develop a 10-year strategy for improving the conservation of uh, critical habitat for birds um, within four provinces of northwestern Ecuador. And so the hope is that uh, we're able to sort of build a, a, a sort of coordinated um, consensus-based effort for Northwestern conservation, for the conservation of Northwestern Ecuador, and that we'll work together on this over the next 10 years. Fantastic. And what kind of roles are, um, sort of, should we say, sort of indigenous, local people? Well, well, obviously, they could be two different things. Um, what kind of role are, should we say, the more, you know, tribal, indigenous um, people, in, for example, probably more in Ecuador, I imagine, towards the, the Amazonian part? Um, which is obviously yeah. very similar in Peru. What kind of, what's there been their role in the sort of the conflict or the wider picture of conservation in general? Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, you know, I think it's, it's uh, at least in this world of, of, of conservation, it's quite well understood at this point that indigenous and, and you know, rural uh, forest peoples and uh, First Nation peoples are often and have been the best stewards of our forested landscapes in the world, um, you know, for, for millennia. Um, the, the, these, these people have found ways to, you know, basically best manage forests to, um, to promote their own livelihoods and their own lifestyle and their own needs. Uh, you know, this is their grocery store, their pharmacy, and, and they're the best place to manage and protect the biodiversity and the, um, of, you know, incredible yeah, diversity of plants and animals and, and, and uh, biodiversity that you find in uh, a lot of South American landscapes. And so, um, yeah, there's an increasing recognition and need to get um, international finance and support for uh, indigenous led management of our forested landscapes in South America. And I think uh, there, there have been some interesting commitments made in, at, at um, you know, the recent uh, International Climate Conference, and we're hoping to see that translated into real on-the-ground action and real on-the-ground tra transfer of, of, of resources to support this kind of work led by Indigenous people. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a critically important issue. I think that you know, the, the more and more forests, uh, reforestation, carbon finance, all these topics gain steam in international communities. And the, the you know, as, as we need to act quickly on these topics um, from climate change, from a climate change perspective, it's going to be critically important that although there's pressure to act quickly, we really do make sure that these projects are designed in consultation, coordination, and uh, with those local forest uh, people who live and depend on the on, on the resources in these areas, and so it's kind of a 
it's a challenge. It's a balance that we're going to have to figure out how to strike. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's very interesting what you said there about it. Like it's their pharmacy. It's, it's all these things. I remember I was with um, an indigenous lady in um, San Lucas, which is outside Loja those listening is in, in southern Andean part of Ecuador and she was taking me through a garden and she was literally pointing at things she's like this is what we take when we have a headache there's now been scientifically proven proven that this helps with headaches next plant this is what we take when we've had some issues with digestion and then mm-hmm. it's now been scientifically proven that this helps with digestion and basically these people have been doing this um, forever for way below any sort of western influence or any kind of uh, you know quote-unquote science that we've we've brought um into these into these places um so yeah i completely appreciate what you're saying about that kind of you know it's that sense of uh, finding that middle ground um, and obviously consult consulting people have been doing this uh you know for for millennia as you say okay so let's get in a little bit into bird life so tell us a little bit about some of the conservation projects that you've been working on and, and what's been going on and perhaps a little bit of the history of how they came about and why they're so necessary in the, the current climate sure um yeah, I, I can tell you about a couple different, um, I guess, uh, you know, l- larger scale and interesting initiatives that BirdLife and our, our network of partners are promoting in the Americas and the Americas forested landscapes. Um, you know, what, one, of the, one of the priority forested landscapes from BirdLife's perspective that we've been working in now for several years and our partners have been working in for, for you know, um, 15 to 20 years is the Atlantic forest. Um, now this is typically, this is another kind of, uh, this is a largely uh, Brazilian forest biome that gets a lot less coverage, less attention than the Amazon. Um, but really from a biodiversity perspective, it's almost equally as rich as the Amazon. Um, and really from an endemism point of view, like how many, you know, the concentration of endemic species is really staggering and uh, makes, it a, makes it one of the most important biodiversity hotspots uh, in the world. I mean, um, the Atlantic Forest, you know, it used to stretch across the entire eastern seaboard of Brazil, basically, on um, the Atlantic uh, Ocean uh, uh, seaboard. And, uh, you know, this, this was an area that was around twice the size of Texas in area, so quite a quite a large chunk of forest strip, you know, along that whole seaboard. Um, and it's been highly fragmented over the last few centuries since European colonization. Um, 16% of the original extent of the Atlantic forest about remains. And um, the the actual the southern part of the Atlantic forest extends into uh, northern Argentina and sort of southeastern Paraguay. And we at BirdLife uh, are working with our partners in those three countries to basically figure out ways to better uh, protect existing, the most important forest fragments that are remaining in the landscape and build green corridors that connect these important protected areas and forest fragments with, uh, with key biodiversity areas, KBAs, um, and that traversing you know, landscapes that are highly fragmented and you know, lots of private land use and farms across this whole landscape. Um, and finding finding ways little by little with our partners to basically stitch back some sort of ecological connectivity in this this pat, you know in this patchwork of a Atlantic forest landscape, um, and so that that work uh, you know is 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 progressing quite well, and uh, we've we've been we're we're in the final year of sort of a uh, uh, a four year initiative that we've uh, begun uh, working with those three partners, and we're hoping to renew the same initiative and build it up and actually scale it up the, the restoration work and the protection work over the coming five years. Um, so that, that's one 
super important piece of work that we're carrying out in the Americas and the Atlantic Forest. And I, I'll just highlight one other um, that I began talking about before, which is sort of in the tropical Andes. Uh, we have sort of a new, we have a new initiative that's being called Conserva Aves um, that is funded by the Bezos Earth uh, Fund. And so we're quite excited about this new initiative that is aiming to basically uh, place critically important habitat for uh, birds that is currently unprotected or doesn't have any kind of protected area status. We're, we're trying to uh, identify the most important areas for a variety of bird species and place that under sub-national protected area status. Um, so as this is sort of a, you know, it's still, it's very, it's proof that, oops, did we get disconnected? No, no, I can hear you. Oh, sorry. Something okay. happened. <laughs> Don't worry. We're, we're half a world away. So these things all happen. Sorry to yeah. listeners, but we are, uh, you know, it's okay. I, I okay. can hear you nice and clearly. Cool. No, I was just going to mention that Conserva Aves, um, you know, it, 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 it goes to show that basically the creation, providing legal status, legal protection status to uh, critical habitat is still like one of the most important tools in the conservationist's toolkit, right? And, you know, while creating national protected areas can present uh, some other, some range of challenges and kind of time delays, uh, we're, we're increasingly seeing in South America and other parts of the world as well that the creation of these municipal protected areas can be a quite effective instrument um, as and and as long as that assistance is coupled with the right kind of training for municipal uh, staff and for local and regional government um, agencies and so that's that's what this Conserva Aves initiative is trying to do and we're hoping that over the next four to five years that we're, we're able to place 450 to around 500,000 uh, hectares of priority bird habitat under under these subnational protected areas. Oh, fantastic. Well, that's really good to hear. Oh, I didn't know about that. It's mm -hmm. interesting. And of course, mm -hmm. one, of, one of the real sort of challenges there is, um, of course, you know, is, is having things, uh, you know, put under a certain status, but then obviously law enforcement is is can, can be a real challenge to, to follow up on. So tell me a little bit about what are some of the perhaps more unexpected challenges that you found or maybe maybe cultural conflicts or things that were a little bit unexpected and even though you're obviously quite widely traveled and you sort of expect the unexpected things, what have been some of those more, especially somewhere say in, in Latin America and in, in Ecuador that you really did surprise you think, wow, this is a lot more challenging than uh, I thought it would be. Yeah. Um... Hmm. I suppose I, I could I could say that um, you know, like I said before, while there's sort of increasing attention and finance actually being put on the table to do reforestation and tree planting and um, a lot of attention being placed on on that as a strategy for climate uh, mitigation and and pulling greenhouse gases out of the atmosphere, it's a real challenge to find the places to do the reforestation in a way that's correct, the way that is beneficial for biodiversity and for local people. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's quite a challenge. There's, there's, you know, uh, it, it, it involves long processes often of community engagement, of talking with private landholders, of making sure that you have the right kind of supply chain set up to actually, um, you know, and people trained on how to, uh, you know, get seedlings established and harvest from the forest seeds to the actually, you know, get a nursery up and running and actually distribute the plants, plant them in the ground at the right time of year, do the maintenance and the monitoring and the watering and the weeding. I mean, this, this is, um, 
this is a significant activity that often, oftentimes, um, you know, doesn't translate to direct, direct economic benefits for local people. Over time, it definitely accrues economic benefits for farming and for uh, local processes, for local governments, and reduces costs of water treatment. There's a lot of benefits to doing reforestation, but it has been a challenge to often get a, you know, groups of landowners and find the right places together to, to, to implement these reforestation projects. All right. Okay. Interesting. Thank you. Um, yeah. All right. So moving on from that, what would you like to see over the next sort of coming decades? Hmm. Sorry, quite vague. Let's, let's well, say, let's say, let's uh, shorten that a little bit. 2025 or yeah. 2030 in your part of the world, what kind of things would you like to see based on trends that, uh, Oh, can you hear me? Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah, it broke up for a second. There, now I can hear you. Yeah, no worries. Yeah, basically, always, I, was, I was sort of restructuring my question. Um, mm -hmm. So rather than sort of vague what, what's going to happen this century, um, so in your part of the world, from what you can see through your work and through trends that you might see emerging, what would you expect to see um, over the next sort of five to ten years? Sure. Um, well, I think that, you know, something that promising that I, that I see happening uh, are, are a few different things. I'm seeing, the, you know, on, on a level here in South America, increasing interest from national and local governments in setting up their own policy frameworks to actually um, address the drivers of deforestation and to set up the right kind of instruments so that infrastructure projects or extractive industry projects actually have to actually will have to do a better job of um, both mitigating and offsetting the impacts that their industries are creating. And so I see genuine interest um, in a lot of governments in South America in, in meeting their climate uh, commitments, in meeting you know, deforestation commitments, uh, and, and there's a lot of positive movement in that, in that direction. Now, on the other side of things, um, you know, in a lot of the, the, the con I guess you could say the consumer countries, the global north that actually, um, you know, benefits from the raw materials that are produced in, in South America. Um, I see similar, similar movements towards this sort of common goal happening right now. You know, right now, the EU, the UK, and the US all have policies that they're sort of under development right now um, to try to weed out deforestation uh, from commodities that are imported into their countries. They're, you know, they're looking to sort of regulate the process of, of you know, in, in make companies do uh, supply chain risk analysis and mitigation and, and try to and actually get them to prohibit the importation of, of commodities that are linked to deforestation. Now, so these are all regulations that are still in the draft stage, but um, you know, they've been tabled officially in the EU Parliament, and uh, the U.S. also had uh, some senators put forward uh, similar legislation um, to, to the EU bill. And so, you know, there's from the, I guess, the consumer side, the global north side, there's also this recognition that, you know, our, our commodity supply chains, our beef, our soy, our palm oil that we're importing into our countries, uh, for our products are are directly linked and and driving this deforestation that is really affecting the global community. So 
um, you know, I, that's quite promising. And seeing that both both producing countries and consuming countries are sort of um, moving in the right direction on these topics is is quite promising. So I'd hope over the next five years to um, you know five to ten years see you know the right kinds of policies set up and to see those actually begin to translate into on the ground um, action and and, and transparency in some of these supply chains. Fantastic. Okay. And Mike, so what um what should we be talking about but aren't, would you say, in your in this sort of not just conservation, but perhaps more in your in your part of your part of the world, what you've seen, what sort of frustrates you when you see things being sort of overlooked or not spoken about? Hmm. I think uh I'd say that, you know, hmm. The first thing that comes to mind that's actually also recently changing quite a bit is the incorporation of of the importance of biodiversity in our climate change mitigation planning and and solutions it's beginning to become a little bit more mainstream particularly in this in the previous uh you know uh, uh global meeting copenhagen um you know, uh, about trying to find, you know, nature-based solutions is sort of this hot, hot topic word in this, in this climate regime right now in the, in the, in efforts, global efforts to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, finding ways to kind of team up, uh, climate mitigation, reducing emissions, uh, and pulling greenhouse gases out of the atmosphere with also, uh, you know, providing benefits for biodiversity, and for the ecosystem services that people depend upon. Um, I would say like, you know, five, 10 years ago, those were siloed approaches. And I think more and more now people are seeing biodiversity is, um, is you know, also a factor that is, you know, inextricably linked to, to climate change and to these issues. And if we, you know, I, I think that for many years, biodiversity wasn't, wasn't really significantly or sufficiently considered. And there's been, you know, some great research done, um, you know, the, talking about now we're officially in this the era of the Anthropocene, and that we're actually making it, you know, causing another uh, mass extinction. And so, I think the 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 global awareness about biodiversity and the sort of crisis that we're we're facing right now with the loss of biodiversity is growing. So that that's promising. I guess I, that doesn't quite answer your question. I think no, it's no, like, that's it's, uh, fantastic. It's on, it's on the uptick. And yeah. I, I said that it was sort of a topic that was frustrating for a lot of people working in, in biodiversity and environmental uh, work for, for many years. But I'm glad to see that these these things are starting to come together. Oh, that's good. No, that's, that's a nice place to uh, to end, really. So, so Mike, um, where can people find you and follow your work if they want to see a little bit more of what you're up to? Yeah, sure. Um, so BirdLife uh, Bird International uh, has, of course, their social media channels. You can find us on Facebook, on Instagram, uh, Twitter. Uh, but BirdLife Americas, our office specific to the Americas region, also has our own social media channels. And so you can find us there. We periodically host webinars and, um, and presentations of some of the work we're doing across the region. Um, and it's a great way to engage and learn about what's going on throughout South America, Central America, um, around some of these topics I've talked about today. Perfect. Mike, thank you for your time. Thanks a lot, Jack.